We're going to look at how spiritual retreats can change the feel-good chemical system in your brain. The Marcus Institute of Integrative Health at Thomas Jefferson University. I'll explain what that really means in a few moments. Then exercising just two and a half hours a week is associated with a slower decline in Parkinson's disease patients. Northwestern University did that study. And then Alzheimer's is linked to fat metabolism malfunction. King's College, London. What's that mean? It means the omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids, they're unsaturated fatty acids, in the brain, well, they have to be properly metabolized. Or you must have them at all, and a lot of people have neither. Also, we're going to talk about another study, and this one is the neuroprotective effect of pomegranate peel extract especially with those who have amyloid beta plaque in the brain. University of Sao Paulo in Brazil and more. Also today, we're going to go to the videos and we're going to hear several. One will be kind of a, an interesting take on geography. What we're never talking about when it comes to geography. And I think you, it's short, but it, I think you'll find it uh, amusing. Then open for discussion today are a few more topics. For example, Amnesty International, Facebook's plan to target children, quote, incompatible with human rights. Facebook itself, quote, poses one of the biggest threats when it comes to children's privacy. So says the Amnesty International. In effect, the product is the person using it, and children including young children, teenagers, and all the rest. They're using it all the time. And is that right? Should any data mining be allowed? Also, is this tax evasion? The richest 1% of the United States households don't report 21% of their income. Quote, we estimate that 36% of federal income taxes unpaid are owed by the top 1%. Hmm. Is there a solution? I have one. I'd like to hear yours. Zoom, which is very popular, paid zero, not a penny, in federal income taxes on 4,000% profit increase during the pandemic. So when you paid your $14.99 a month for Zoom Pro membership, you paid more to Zoom than it paid in federal income taxes on its $660 million in profits last year. Is that fair? What do you think? Also, new analytical tools reveal the DNA damage caused by CRISPR-Cas9 G editing. What does that mean? It means there was no more argument allowed. The CRISPR gene phenomena had occurred years ago. Don't challenge it. Well, no one did. New research from Chinese scientists shows that crispr Case 9, gene editing, causes massive damage to the genome, much of which would have been missed by the analytical tools used so far. So what does that mean? It means an awful lot of people uh, are not aware. They found that the DNA double-strand breaks brought by about by CRISPR gene editing tool could lead to unintended chromosomal translocations and large deletions. That could really mess up your whole DNA. 
So why didn't we know this? Because we wanted the benefits of the new analytical tools and the whole gene editing field wanted it. So we just pushed back any real long-term concerned studies about safety. Sound familiar? Rushing into these new vaccines that are experimental, all are experimental. None have been proven. And yet, people are embracing these as if, I got my vaccine. I just spoke with someone this morning. Oh, I've got my first vaccine. I can't wait to get the second one. It was not for me to explain to this person had they done any homework. They hadn't. Their homework was listening to people on television say, get your vaccine. Now, what if this person has an adverse event? There's nothing they can do about it. They can report to the government, the Justice Department, on the vaccine adverse reporting system, but that's notoriously anti-people, long and fetid history, being very aggressive and denying legitimate vaccine damage to people. They make all the profit. We, the taxpayers, pay for them to do the research. They get to keep co-patents and royalties, so it's win-win-win all the way down. Even if their vaccine injured or killed people, too bad. And there are hundreds and hundreds of new vaccines in the pipeline. Do you think they're going to bring those out to a public that has not been conditioned to believe they need them? So that's an issue. So these are some of the things that we're going to be talking about. Plus, we're going to hear from Dr. Simone Gold. It's just one part of a lecture she's giving, but she's saying a couple things in here that I think are extremely relevant. She's an MD, board-certified emergency medicine. She spent her whole adult career as a medical doctor working in inner cities, hospitals, emergency rooms. She has something to say that challenges the official position on COVID. But also there's something she says that I had not heard her say before that is worth hearing. Now, there are things she and I dis disagree on. She is really adamantly um, hyper pro-vaccine. She brags about how many vaccines she's had, all of her children have. That's her right. So the fact that I have someone on who is adamantly pro-vaccine does not mean that everything that they have found about COVID is in support of the standard uh, narrative. She makes some startling revelations that all of us would benefit from knowing. That's our program. We're going to go now to the idea of there's a time when all of us just need to go away someplace. Now, if you live in New York, I always recommend people just drive upstate to one of the ashrams, one of the meditation environments. There's some Buddhist academies up there. There's a Kripala, which I visited. Nice experience. And what you find in these places, you don't find much aesthetics, from my, my experience, and you don't find a very creative diet, but you do find healthy food. It's rather boring, but it's healthy, which is good. The key is meditation, and some do yoga, but it's the quietness. It's living in balance with nature. It's allowing your natural life energy, your natural chi to harmonize with nature. And of course, you can get some nice lessons along the way. So wherever you're at, I know people go down to um, Hippocrates down in uh, the Caribbean. I believe it's in, where's that at now? I think it was in Puerto Rico. <clears throat> she used to live on my farm for two years, by the way, uh, the woman who founded Hippocrates. 
and Wigmore. Anyhow, uh, she, she was a wonderful teacher, a genuine human being. So down in, I'll think of it, I haven't been there, but I know people have gone and they've enjoyed their experience. So wherever you can get away to a healthy spiritual retreat, do so. Why? Because Thomas Jefferson University's Institute of Integrative Health found that it, it can change your brain chemistry for the better. More Americans than ever are turning to spiritual and meditative and religious retreats as a way to reset their daily life and enhance well-being, according to the Institute. Now, researchers at the Institute show there are changes in the dopamine and serotonin systems in the brains of retreat participants. This was published in the Peer Review Journal of Religion, Brain, and Behavior. Here's what they say, quote, Since serotonin and dopamine are part of the reward and emotional systems of the brain, it helps us understand why these practices result in powerful, positive emotional experiences. Our study showed significant changes in the dopamine and serotonin transporters after the seven-day retreat, which could help prime participants for the spiritual experiences that they reported. In fact, they did post-retreat scans, revealed decreases in dopamine transporter and serotonin transporter binding, which could make more of the neurotransmitter available to the brain. That is associated with positive emotions, spiritual feelings, love. In particular, dopamine is responsible for meditating. It is important for your emotional behavior, even your movements. So while serotonin is involved in emotional regulation and mood. So just one more reason to get to a retreat and give yourself a break. From Northwestern University, talks about Parkinson's disease. Now we know it's progressive. We know that uh, it often results in mobility impairment and can lead to decreased healthy related quality of life and then death. There is evidence that physical activity can delay decline in Parkinson's disease patients. In a study in the Journal of Parkinson's Disease, researchers determined that people who exercise regularly two and a half hours a week had slower declines in their mobility over a two-year period. Now, I'm going to suggest about four hours a week, especially for cancer patients, because the more oxygen you get into your system, the better it is to fight cancer. Anyhow, there were 3,400 participants in this particular two-year study, and they collected all the data. So if you've got Parkinson's, exercise power walk or get on a stationary bike so you have some balance, and pedal. But use resistance, meaning don't allow yourself just to spin. Uh, put some resistance so you have to really push the muscles. Also from King's College London, they found that if you're taking the omega-3 and the omega-6 polyunsaturated fatty acids, that's important for the brain. But you also have to know that the the faults in how unsaturated fatty acids metabolize may play a role in driving al uh, the uh, Alzheimer's disease progression. That's one more reason why on a regular basis we should go to a plant-based diet, periodic uh, episodic fasting, 
and make sure we're having clean, healthy food with the good oils, walnuts and almonds and, and macadamians and cashews, coconut oil, hemp oil. These are all good. Those are the type of fats, the omega-3 fats that are rich in DHA that uh, your brain needs, and that can improve cognitive performance. Also, a study shows that pomegranate peel extract can impact amyloid beta in the brain. And that's important. But also we know the pomegranate, just eating the little orbs um, or having the fresh juice or a concentrate, cleans up your arteries, especially arteries you may not be aware are clogging and helps de-occlude those arteries. That could save your life from a heart attack or stroke. And from the University of British Columbia, if you're an active teen, if you're the average teen, you're spending way too much time um, not exercising and instead looking at a computer or your screen. If you do that, you're going to have weaker bones than if you were physically active. And you don't want weak bones early in life because that can impact your mobility and health especially your hip health. You start getting into your 30s and 40s, then you can end up with hip fractures. So keep active. And finally, from Ohio State University, cooking family meals, turning off the television during those meals is linked to lower obesity. Now, I'm pretty sure most people remember when we used to, well, I can't speak for anyone else except myself, but when we had the big Sunday dinners, all right, we were not allowed to leave the table till we cleaned up our plate, and the plates never had a lot of food on them because it was wasteful. My mother and father and all my aunts and uncles and all my relatives grew up during the Great Depression where food could be very scarce. You might go one or two days with no actual solid food. And people in rural America, they had a little better because they could grow their own food, and they tended to share in their own community. The other day I mentioned when I was talking about the Hoosers in Indiana and that 1954 championship from that little tiny school that went on to be the best in the state that year. And the reason that happened was not because these were great athletes. It's because they had a great coach. And the coach says, you're all good shooters. You're all good rebounders. You, you all are great handling the ball. But you're doing it for yourself. You're not looking at how to work as a team. And they finally got it. And once they got it, they were unstoppable and unbeatable. Teamwork, the cooperative, the we. I was just watching, I just decided last night to turn on and uh, I was watching some of the top sports teams and time and again, I saw people who could have passed off, didn't, and all about themselves. In, in a few cases, people are good team players, but it's I just don't like seeing all this showboating. Anyhow, in life also, there's the cooperation. you got to hand it. There's things about the Amish and Mennonite I would challenge, but a few things I really agree with, and that's raising a barn. Now, I built barns. I built six barns. And I'll tell you, it's not an easy task. You really have to know a lot about framing, glazing, uh, carpentry, metalwork, 
and bracing, etc., putting in your foundation. Well, these people all get together, and in one day they raise a barn. They put the whole barn, and these are not little tiny barns. These are big barns, and they're so well-crafted. They do it as a community. Now, just imagine in rural America you have more of that community spirit where people come together. It's a simple life. It's not complicated, and uh, it's very peaceful. There are all kinds of challenges, but I've seen an awful lot of caring and giving and cooperation in that. It's just something that came to mind when I was thinking about when we used to eat dinner, and then the TV trays came. Remember those stupid little TV trays? You put it in front, and then you take that, <laughs> my God, we didn't know anything, the aluminum foil, and who knew what was anything? Because everybody would, you know, in my family would want whatever it was. If it was chicken, they'd take my chicken or beef, take my beef, and I'd get their peas and carrots. And uh, But we ate together and we watched some television. Before then, we didn't watch the television. We ate at the family table. That's where everything was discussed. So what this study is showing from Ohio State University is when you turn off the television and you eat a meal together, uh, and you're going to reduce obesity. You can have your time to converse. You can have your time to enjoy your family. Now, just imagine if as a family you went out to local farmer's markets or to local farms or local food co-ops and bought your food that is local, fresh, and organic. That's even an additional benefit to this. So there's a lot of people who've gone through this and not gained weight and not traumatized because they're still following their healthy programs. This was published in the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And that is the latest on health and healing, except for those of you coming to the retreat, you're just going to do normal, healthy, fun, enjoyable exercise, as little or as much as you want. But for those of you who are coming for the advanced anti-aging protocol, you're going to be on a high-intensity interval training, what's called an HIIT, and it reverses aging. Who says? The Mayo Clinic. The Mayo Clinic just brought out a study <clears throat> this week showing that high-intensity aerobic exercise performed in short intervals can reverse the aging process. Yeah. Yep. So that was done. The study's in. Good for them. And we've been doing that now. And it boosts muscle protein content, then improves energetic flow, and you're going to get larger and better developed muscles. So all this is part of it. I'm Gary Nall. We are 19 minutes into our program. We're going to take a break. When we come out of the break, we're going to go directly to a particular lecture that was uh, given. And uh, let's hear what she has to say. You can agree or disagree. And her name is Dr. Simone Gold, G-O-L-D. She's both an attorney and a board-certified physician. But she's going to make a few statements in here that are very important. I want you to hear what she has to say. Please stay with us. Okay, so thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I come to you tonight with a lot of information about the experimental vaccines, what's called the experimental vaccines regarding COVID-19. I think... All of this information will be brand new to you. I know that this was all brand new to me, 
over the last few months, even as a board-certified emergency physician, I did not know a lot of what I'm about to share with you. And I come before you on behalf of America's Frontline Doctors, which is a volunteer physician organization that we started specifically to combat the serious and, and life-threatening disinformation campaign that has really taken over America and really the entire globe. It's very, very scary stuff. I've been a doctor for a long time. Before me, my father is a doctor. I've never seen anything like this, where we have groups of physicians or scientists and government bureaucrat agencies essentially lying to the American people and people across the world. I have many, many examples. One, of, one brief example I'll give you is that the National Institute of Health right now has as its policy recommendation for patients with COVID-19 stating that unless you're in the hospital requiring oxygen, there's no actual treatment available for you. That is a complete falsehood, completely false. In most of the world, uh, non-first world countries, there's plenty of treatment easily available, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin. Here in America, if you can find a doctor to prescribe it, you get those medicines or budesonide. There's, there's many options and you know, this disinformation is why we came public. When we started to speak out uh, around July, or a little bit sooner, but we got a lot of attention starting in July, you know, we were promptly, as the pastor said, deplatformed, and it doesn't bother me so much. I know the information. It bothers me tremendously on behalf of all of humanity, right? This is a crime against humanity. There's a, there's a physician in the Netherlands who's bringing a lawsuit in The Hague, calling it that, calling this a crime against humanity. There was a lot of information you haven't heard. There was a Senate testimony about a month ago. A bunch of doctors went and testified. It was, I believe, it was Senator Johnson as the chairman. You can find it on our website, americasfrontlinedoctors.com. But the doctors testified that the vast majority of deaths in America would have been, would have not, not ever happened. Not ever happened. Um, I start with that because when you understand, you, you must understand the magnitude of the lie to understand what they're trying to tell you about these experimental vaccines. So we need to just kind of go through that for a little bit. In, yeah, okay. So I, I know some of you heard a little, this first sentence which I said this morning, but the disinformation was apparent since the beginning, right? We call this illness COVID-19, but its real name should be after the location from where it arose, which is Wuhan, China. And if you remember, it was called the Wuhan virus for a, long, you know, a while, I don't know, a month or so, before we discovered the Chinese Communist Party didn't like that name. They set about putting a lot of pressure on media and other you know, politicians, let's say, to change it, and they started calling it the coronavirus. They called it the coronavirus because it is actually a coronavirus. But that became very confusing to doctors and scientists because there are seven coronaviruses. This is just number seven. So we used to use the word coronavirus sometimes on our charts when we meant a common cold. You know, a person would come into the ER in my case and they, they just had a common cold and I would sometimes write coronavirus on the chart as a diagnosis. So it was pretty confusing for doctors and scientists to call it the coronavirus, right? So they had to change the name again and it became known by its acronym, Coronavirus Disease 2019, COVID-19. I have to start there because it was never a racist or, or weird thing to call it the Wuhan virus, right? There's so many diseases that are named after the location from which they arise. There's Zika and Ebola, there's Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, Lyme disease. I mean, the list is endless, German measles, Spanish flu. This list is endless. So you need to understand that deception was there from the very beginning. So 
so that was the first big lie. The next big lie, the, the next big popular well-known lie was the maligning of this common, ordinary, cheap, safe medication called hydroxychloroquine. Those of you who've traveled abroad, who've taken mission trips, for example, or anybody in the military are quite familiar with this drug. Doctors would just give it out, you know, like candy. I know that I was going to take a holiday to Africa about 20 years ago, and I was a medical student at the time, and they just handed me the pills. Here you go. I never asked any questions. It was a big, fat, nothing burger, <laughs> taking hydroxychloroquine. All of a sudden, we started hearing as doctors, even as doctors, that hydroxychloroquine was unsafe. You can't understand what's going on with the lies until you understand what an enormous lie this is. Hydroxychloroquine is over-the-counter in much of the world. Okay? It's taken in many African nations. They call it Sunday, Sunday medicine. Because you take it every Sunday. Right? That's like its name, Sunday, Sunday. People keep it in their pocket the way Americans might keep a Tylenol in their purse. It's, it's, it's absolutely ordinary stuff. It was over-the-counter, really in any country which had malaria or any country that had citizens that would visit malaria countries on holiday, it was over-the-counter. For example, it was over-the-counter in France. The only reason it wasn't over-the-counter in America is there just wasn't a consumer demand. Right? In America, we use hydroxychloroquine for two main reasons. That's lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, and also for malaria for people going on holiday. But generally, it's lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. And for those illnesses, patients regularly see physicians so they can get a prescription for it. That's why it was never over-the-counter here. Not because it was unsafe. It's been FDA-approved for 65 years. We give it to babies. We give it to children. We give it to pregnant women. We give it to nursing mothers. We give it to the elderly, and we give it to the immune-compromised. Those last two categories take this medication for decades. There was never a pretense that it's not safe. That's the drug that you've been hearing about for nine months now, 10 months, telling you it's unsafe. It's an incredible lie of incredible proportions. Once you understand that, you will be suspicious of everything that follows. So that's where I found myself. There I was in the emergency department, treating patients as they came in with COVID-19. And once we had the rapid test so I can confirm the diagnosis, my first patient, who I needed to give hydroxychloroquine and zinc to, I did it, and, and even knowing the kind of the controversy, I really didn't think twice about it. It, it. I don't know. It was fine. I gave it to her. I actually called her the next day. She was so much better. She herself got better within about 12 hours. In about 48 hours, she was essentially completely well. This completely matched what I had read in the scientific literature. I knew many doctors who had done this. I'd read many journal articles. And it, was com it, was, it was completely consistent. What was really shocking and completely inconsistent was my medical director who calls me the next day and threatens to fire me for doing this, this treatment. It was, it was I, I can't even tell you to the, even as I describe this moment to you, it's shocking to me. I remember the case, the situation, the conversation, and he's saying he's going to fire me. And I said, why would you fire me over this? Well, I don't think it works. I said, well, then don't prescribe it. <laughs> you know, you haven't read the science the way I have. I know it works. You'll change your mind in a couple of months when, you know, you get a little wiser. But why would you get involved with, with you know, me treating a patient? You do your thing, I do my thing. That's how medicine is practiced. We are licensed as individuals. It's actually against the law to have what's called a corporate practice of medicine where, you know, corporation practice is for you. It has to be the individual doctor's physician. That's why patients go to multiple doctors, right? You know. And, and really, the, almost the worst part of the conversation was not even that he was ignorant that the drug worked, but his reasons for saying that he was going to fire me if I did this. And the reason, which he put in writing because he wasn't so smart, <laughs> he said it was because the, the, the biggest payer at that hospital, which is a large insurance company that everyone here has heard of that's back on the West Coast mainly, didn't want us to prescribe it. They were blocking it. 
So that payer, insurance company, was pressuring the hospital that their doctor shouldn't do it. It had nothing to do with even if he thought it was good or bad for the patient. It all had to do with money and payment, which was, I honestly, I, I still can't believe I'm relating this story. It was really unbelievable. So he said, I could never do that again. I said, well, good luck with that. So, so it kept happening. It happened about four or five times. And I kind of knew that my days at that particular hospital were, really were going to be numbered, right? I mean, how long is this going to last? So I started looking online for other physicians like myself. I knew I couldn't be the only one. And I found the most amazing group of doctors, really just brilliant, intelligent, compassionate, kind. And, and you know, we got together and we called ourselves the America's Frontline Doctors. And what I felt needed to happen was we needed to break this disinformation cycle to which the Americans were all being subjected to and people across the world as well. So I set up to do something called the White Coat Summit, which was an entire day of education. We brought doctors, and we brought social media influencers. Uh, young people know them as YouTubers. So we brought a whole bunch of YouTubers and a whole bunch of doctors. We brought to Washington. We did seven hours of education. And we laid out all the facts, all the facts, you know, very dispassionate. Here's the facts on hydroxychloroquine. Here's the facts on lockdowns. Here's the facts on masks. Here's the facts on you know, schools and kids' transmission. Here's the facts for the elderly. Here's the facts on... Um, you know, other treatments other than hydroxychloroquine, and we did that. In the middle of that day, we took a break and we walked over to the Supreme Court, and that was the video that got 20 million views. It gets 20 million views not because I can sing like Beyonce, but <laughs> because human beings recognize truth. We have something inside of us, right? right? I really emphasize that point because you can't get to 20 million views. Nobody plans such a thing. It's only if people say, oh my gosh, you got to listen to this. you got to listen to this. You recognize the truth. You recognize the truth. So I guess after a while, big tech you know, caught up with the fact that this was like breaking the internet. And so within an hour, all of the, all of the platforms censored us simultaneously. So it's, it's essentially a monopoly. So we're talking YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, all of us, all went down immediately. The president had retweeted us. The president's son had retweeted us. And from that mo moment on, everything really kind of changed. I did get fired from both of my hospitals. It is a scary experience to get fired, especially when you've worked as long as I have to be a board certified. That's just a small part of her talk. What did we learn? We learned that she was fired because she was prescribing a drug that worked, has a long and detailed history with hundreds of scientific articles, over 120 in the peer-reviewed literature, but the insurance company didn't want it covered. That's the politics you don't hear about. Now, if we had universal health care, you could eliminate all the insurance companies. The bureaucracy that absorbs one-third or about $1.1 trillion of profit each year, that would all be avoided. So that was a fraud and a crime because people would die without a medicine. And as you've heard, and it's just absolutely correct, they just said, well, go home and... You know, when you get these symptoms and you have to go to a hospital, then we'll treat you with critical care. And that was abysmal, abysmal failure. Massive iatrogenic death and injury from that, including the doctors coming forward initially. And we, we put it on YouTube, uh, or took it off YouTube, and we put it on this radio program. The pulmonologist, the board-certified emergency room pulmonologist, said, we're seeing people die who shouldn't. This is not a procedure, the intubation and the lung machine that they should have. That's correct. He was right. The entire medical establishment, hospitals and bureaucrats were wrong. And this is just an ongoing saga. Next, she talked about 
the campaign, there's a campaign to destroy ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, even though especially ivermectin is extraordinarily safe and very effective and can be used preventatively at low doses. And all the studies shows re recovery, no negative effects. But they tried to destroy these. Why? They wanted everyone to have the vaccines or expensive drugs that they controlled. So now you have a classic example of vulture capitalism controlling both parties and controlling the media, owning the media, and deciding what should be a person's treatment, even when the treatment does not work. Now, there's a clip that I can't play because it's, um, but I'll refer to it. It's a, it's a clip about what is going on in Israel. And we had that on yesterday's program. Well, that woman, the activist, the health activist, and she's talking about how, you know, she is now the other. Now, this particular clip, I'll just describe it. It shows, uh, I don't know how many people, because you can't see the density of the people, but let's just assume for argument's sake it's 500 people protesting my body, my choice. And you do hear one woman who says, and I, she's a senior citizen, she says, look, she said, I want to have control over whatever goes in my body. If it's a medicine, I want to know that I, what that medicine's doing. I want that or don't want it in my body. And I don't want a vaccine that's experimental in my body. That's my choice. Then there is a, a human rights attorney who says there has to be a balance. And there's no balance. And then the health minister for Israel, a hardliner, he comes out and he says, if you don't get your vaccines, you're going to be left behind. Now think of that for a moment. What does that mean, left behind? Because that's coming to America. It's coming to Europe. Left behind means this. Right now, Israeli economy is opening back up. Restaurants, stores, theater. But if you don't have your green card, a, a, a green a certificate on a card that you were vaccinated, you can't get in there. We're still, the um, health department has agreed to turn over to local authorities everyone's name and information who was not vaccinated. This sounds like Stasi Germany. You're going to turn over people's private information to authorities so you know who wasn't vaccinated, so they're the other. They're the left behind. So now they've allowed in Israel employers to say, if you're not vaccinated, don't come back to work. You're fired. No compensation, nothing. You're out of here. You can't go into any of the public spaces. You can't go shopping. You can't go to a concert. You can't go to a movie. You can't get on an airplane. So the life of a person who is not vaccinated is going to be very challenging. And the entire body politic in Israel is against them. You talk about a politicized Supreme Court, they've got it, as we do. In any case, that is going to be a model to use around the world. So if you thought a police state already was challenging, we're going to full-on police state in the United States. Now, the last person to speak in this particular little short four-minute film I watched was a citizen who said, you know, I'm, I've got my vaccines, I'm you know, but, but I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that what if I'm around someone who doesn't have a vaccine 
and you know that they could uh, give me the you know I don't feel safe. Could I get the the coronavirus? Fact. Everyone who's been vaccinated, are you aware that there was no study done to prevent you from being infected with the coronavirus? There was no study done to prevent you from infecting someone even if you were vaccinated. There's no results yet to show that if you were vaccinated that you're going to live a longer life. It was only about moderate symptoms being alleviated, nothing more. But it's been sold by officials that this is protecting you. Life is normal. Now we hear, oh, no, no, you can be vaccinated. You still got to wear a mask. You still got to social distance. Then why in the hell are you vaccinating? You're on your fourth shutdown. And if you didn't find that the first three worked, why would you assume a fourth worked? This is just insanity. These are technocrats and bureaucrats and corrupt scientists and greedy uh, profiteers who are exploiting people's fear. So wherever you have a chance to stand up and reach out to get more information, do so. Now, to help you, I have over a dozen articles that are on GaryAndAll.com. Go to GaryAndAll.com, then you'll see articles. They're all free, by the way. And you'll take those articles, read the articles to educate yourself. If you find that an article, and they're all fully documented, this is real scholarship. And once you, these are not opinion pieces, so once you've read them, if you feel that someone that you know would benefit from them and ask them would they like to read it, uh, then send it to them. The same thing on vaccines, because this is a larger part of the argument on are vaccines safe and effective. And historically, we've proven that they're not. And people are walking around with children by the millions of children who have developmental disorders, immune-related disorders that we've never seen before in American history. So it's time that the truth came out. Every article that I write, I write as if I have to bring this into a court of law and meet legal standards for cross-examination so you can have some confidence. Now, who's the greatest purveyor, in my personal opinion, of misinformation on health issues in the world? Wikipedia. I would never believe anything that I see on Wikipedia because I know how much has been wrong, and they refuse to correct anything. So we're in the process of seeking legal uh, to legally address this, and it's taking time because we're coming up with some extraordinarily unique ways of going about it. Once we filed the suits, which is in the very near future, I will have a press conference on the air and announce it. And there are a lot of other people who will be a part of it or uh, coming right behind me who are all household names. Because we've got to stop the disinformation. And that's what she said. She had the courage. Now, she's been denigrated. She's been attacked, deplatformed. Everyone who challenged the official version has. It doesn't make them wrong because they're challenging the orthodoxy. But it says a lot when we don't. A few other things. I thought that uh, this was an interesting piece. I'm going to share some of it with you. Uh, it is by Dave Lindorf from Counterpunch. And it's called... Biden's and America's mental illness is on full display. Listen to it. Quote, it was just three weeks ago that our new transformative President Joe Biden joined that long, almost unbroken list of war criminal presidents stretching back to George Washington. Biden joined this disgraceful list 
by ordering a bloody aerial bombardment by U.S. warplanes in eastern Syria. The U.S. bombs, which were reportedly dropped on a location in the city of Erbil, according to the British Daily, The Independent, killed as many as 22 people in the targeted buildings. Most, if not all, of the victims were Iraqis, uh, described by the U.S. as being part of two Iranian-backed militias, which were accused of being behind a rocket attack 10 days earlier that killed a U.S. mercenary and wounded Louisiana National Guardsmen. The Pentagon called the attack, which employed seven 500-pound bombs, a proportional response. Wow, listen to that, proportional response. Sounds almost poetic, doesn't it? Um, uh, which raises questions about the meaning of proportional or, or about what the hell dictionary they use in the White House. The Oxford Dictionary defines proportional as meaning, quote, corresponding in size or amount to something else, end quote. But it seems unlikely that a rocket attack by a militia group or two could come close to explosive power to seven bombs totaling nearly two tons of explosive and besides 22 deaths is unarguably way out of proportion in relation to a casualty toll of one dead and one wounded. Aside from the ludicrous misuse of that term by the Pentagon and the reporters who dutifully scribbled it down in their notes and quoted it in their reports of the briefing without comment, there's another point that was left out. Now, this is the part I'd like you to listen to. Good for you, David, for bringing this up. Quote, that those who were killed, even if, even if Iraqi, were there in Syria at the behest of the Syrian government. The U.S. mercenary killed and the U.S. soldier wounded in Syria were in that country as invaders in violation of both Syrian national sovereignty and international law. That is why Biden made himself yet another U.S. war criminal president. But Biden didn't stop there. After killing those 22 who could well have included innocent civilians, maybe even kids, who might have been in some of those buildings. A few weeks later, he went on to label Russia's Vladimir Putin a, quote, killer in a classic pot-calling-the-kettle black moment. In fact, Ray McGovern, the former CIA analyst and Russian expert who co-founded the group Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity, points out that ABC News talking head George Stephanopoulos provided Biden the opportunity for that name Calling uh, name-calling during that interview when he asked the stupid and pointless question, do you think Russia President Putin is a killer? God, how dumb can you be? Biden, of course, stupidly and hypocritically replied, yes. If McGovern's view, in McGovern's view, that whole incident was likely a setup deliberately by someone in the State Department or the Pentagon who wanted to further bung up U.S.-Russia relations, and I think Ray got a point. It's not hard to imagine that being the, in the case, given the way ABC, like the other major TV networks, news programs, employs retired Pentagon and State Department officials as paid news commentators, you can just imagine one of them saying, hey, Steph, why don't you ask Biden whether he thinks Putin is a killer? Anyhow, it goes on from there. But you get the point. We're, we're in a country that is a sovereign country. It is not at war with anyone. It hasn't invaded anyone. And yet everything we do there, we do with the idea that we deserve to be there. We're there for the oil and for geopolitical reasons. And yet the poor people of Syria have had to withstand nothing but lies by our media because it's only lies that come out of the White House and the defense intelligence agencies. Something to think about. So nothing has changed. Some good news from the ecologist 
They have a new article, An Appetite for Plant-Based Diets. Quote, adopting a vegan diet could be the biggest individual contribution to preventing climate breakdown. But we also need systemic change. He is right. It helps with deforestation, stopping deforestation. We should be planting right now. We should be planting a billion to 10 billion trees just in the United States. We could put people to work, especially younger people, especially people who may not have high-level educations and therefore are unemployed permanently right now. Put them to work at a living wage. Planting trees. Good for them, good physically, good for nature, good for the world. But then let's stop eating meat. We need a call to action. Yes, we have to transition. Some people can do it overnight. Other people, it may take them a while. But let's get off all all animal proteins. Anything that has a heartbeat or a face, stop eating it. In return, look at the wonder of vegetables. Important. And finally, then I'm going to have you call in and share your points of view on any of these. Big Bank's trillion-dollar finance for fossil fuel shocking, says report. This is from Damien Carrington, the environmental editor of The Guardian. Coal, oil, and gas firms have received $3.8 trillion in finance since the Paris climate deal in 2015. Quote, the world's biggest 60 banks have provided $3.8 trillion of financing for fossil fuel companies since the Paris climate 2014 or 15. Okay, what this means from my perspective, because I just finished a film on this and a new book on this, a 700-page book on saving the planet, it's very simple. We bail out the banks. They give us nothing in return. Nothing. There's no, there's nothing backing up the currency in the United States. Nothing. Nothing at all. There's no gold. There's no silver. There's just the, uh, the Treasury bill, the good faith in the American government that don't worry, um, we're behind it. Well, maybe they are. For how long? When you see how much debt we have right now accumulated and how much we're responsible for, that uh, that's a whole different ballgame. We've been keeping track of the debt. And right now, the entire debt in the United States at all levels, including unfunded or underfunded entitlements, is $3.2 trillion. $3.2 trillion. That's more money than in the entire world. And that's just our debt. And the interest on our debt is up around closing in on 29 more or less trillion dollars. We can't pay the interest on the debt, so we just keep printing money. That's a massive amount of money that we print. We're printing money to buy inventory that people don't have the money to buy in the stores or online. People can't pay for their debt, so a lot of their, their checks that they just got are being taken right away, right out of their bank account by payday loans and other vendors. So, and people will continue to spend at least what they have and sometimes what they don't have. We're not forgiving student loan, and we should. We're not forgiving a lot of debts, but we sure did forgive over. Now, again, the figures varied. I've had sources as high as 26 trillion, as low as 13 trillion, that were bailed out from 2008 up to for the next 10 years, about 2018. All that was forgiven. 
Why, why can't you do the same thing for credit cards? Why can't you do it for car loans? Why can't you do it for mortgages? You could. They choose not to. In fact, one of the biggest investments in the United States today is in debt. Just remember, my figures are correct. U.S. total debt, 82 trillion. But then you have to look at the, and that includes state debt and, and uh, of 1.2 trillion and local debt of 2.1 trillion. All that now has been wiped away because in the stimulus program, all these states and local governments, no matter how mismanaged and corrupt and inefficient, everything was just cleaned out, made whole again. What about individuals? What about 1.7 trillion in student debt where students are frequently going to bed hungry at night? Nope, not going to help them. What about personal debt of 21 trillion? Nope, not going to help them either. What about the U.S. national debt and interest on that debt, 28.1 trillion? Well, that we'll work on. What about our unfunded liabilities and Social Security, Medicare, national health care unfunded liability, and U.S. trade deficit? You add all those together and you compare it to 121 million income coming in and you see that we are over 1,200% debt to gross domestic credit. We are bankrupt as a nation, and that's not going to change. So why wouldn't it make sense then to take all these corporations, which are most corporations, I just mentioned Zoom as one example today, and the wealthiest 1%, and why don't we do the right thing? Keep them from uh, cheating any longer. Why not just have one corporate debt our corporate uh, tax rate of 20%. So no matter with your tiny little business or giant corporation, 20% of whatever you earn in a year, you can't hide, you can't offshore it, you pay it to the government. That would bring us in trillions of dollars that we don't have. And while you're at it, if you have any legislators that really care about the American people, cut the Pentagon budget by 80% and also cut a lot of other agencies out and stop bailing out banks because the banks didn't put any of that trillions of dollars they gave to big oil and gas hydrofracking and nuclear. And by the way, in the new administration, nuclear is green. Nuclear is not green, <clears throat> not green at all. So why not put it into wave power, geothermal power? There's a lot of ways that you could help. There's a solar paint that causes heat to reflect off houses. We could be doing a lot more than what we're doing, but even, even the Green movement has been compromised by the um, environmental capitalist. They're in it for the money. 888-874-4888, that's our number to call in on. And while you're thinking about calling in, and I'll be happy to take your calls when we get them, let's just see right now if I have a call coming in, I'll be happy to take it. We always get some good ones. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Nuts. You know what I'm going to do? I was just, we've just got our guest on. I'm going to reschedule the guest because it's too little time to give to the guest. And uh, I'll have, on our next program, I'll have our guest on. So I don't want to give him too short of amount of time. But let's see if you'd like to call in and share your points of view. 888-874-4888. And... While you're thinking about what you'd like to say, I will go to something else here. And this is one of the things I'm concerned about is the university professor, Dolores Cahill, 
resigns as Irish Freedom Party chair days after St. Patrick's Day protest speech. This is from the Independent Ireland. Now, you've probably heard of her, and I'm sure if you've seen people speaking out who are qualified scientists about the problems with COVID, you've seen her. She's a real firebrand. She's concerned. But now it turns out that she helped create and lead a uh, protest this week about an anti-lockdown protest. And she's professor and also chair of the Irish Freedom Party. And her resignation comes as her own students. Um, she's a member, a member of the university's medical school faculty. And uh, her own students ask for her resignation. So those who speak out are almost always challenged. And that's unfortunate because she's a strong voice and she's a courageous voice. But that's that. Lincoln from New York City. Hi, Lincoln. Your turn. Hi, Gary. How are you? I want to make two quick points and two things you spoke about. Um, first one was the virus from China. Um, that virus actually was created since 2015 in Chapel Hill under Dr. Barrick. And there's a man, you should get him on your show. His name is Dr. T. West, who have been talking about it since the inception of the, pan of the pandemic, since last year from about January, because he has been following Dr. Fauci since the AIDS um, um, crisis. And it was taken to China for plausible deniability. But it was created here under Dr. Barrett and uh, with the auspices of, um, of, of Fauci. The next thing I want to speak about is the, um, the, 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 the um, path in, 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 um, in Israel. Um, from the beginning of this, I, I don't know, you know, I'm not proselytizing, but I want to say this. I firmly believe in revelations, and I do believe that everything we're seeing is the precursor of the mark of the beast. And if you look at the, the, the green, the path in Israel, it's, it's so, it's so showing okay. that it's... Okay, Lincoln, Lincoln, that's, that's your own personal belief. Um, I am not of that belief, and I'd like to stick with things that we have some control over some way that we can identify cause and effect without using any scripture from any religious text. Okay? We're out of time, everyone. I look forward to sharing more. And by the way, tonight at 8 p.m., 8 p.m. right here on PRN, premiering a new, very important, hard-hitting documentary. You won't want to miss it. It's called The Cost of Denial. 8 p.m. tonight, prn.fm. Have a nice day.